You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for joining us. We are celebrating technology across RA this month. And as a part of our celebrations, I'm delighted to share with you a conversation that I had with artist and musician Portrait XO, who is a frequent collaborator of AI. To hear my own voice that out in this really weird, like causes a lot of hair raising moments where either the AI decided to take a combination of different techniques and sing in a way that I cannot replicate. And I have these like profound moments where I'm just like, what does this mean? How does this make me feel? Currently based in Berlin, having grown up in LA and spent time in London, Portrait XO is a pioneering hybrid audio-visual artist exploring AI, sound and new media. This year, she's releasing an album called Wire in five different phases across various mediums and platforms. We spoke about her experience living with synesthesia where she can taste sound how she works with AI and her voice, and her aspirations to reduce bias amongst data input for artificial intelligence. I really hope that you have a wonderful listen to Portrait XO on RA's Exchange. Welcome to the exchange, Portrait XO. Uh, would you tell everyone where you are and what you're up to today? Sure. Um, thanks for having me. I am based in Berlin. I moved here end of 2018. Um, I guess I came because I'm a real nerd. <laughs> I just love geeking out over music tech and all my favorite companies and brands are here. Amazing. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, something that I really like to ask all the guests on this podcast is a question that transports us back in time and it is would you be up for sharing with us your earliest memory that is connected to either sound or music oh wow that's a really really interesting question um I started classical piano training when I was four so I was interested in music quite early on, but I've always had a kind of like an emotionally rebellious reaction to music because I think when I was about six, I really wanted to learn how to play jazz, but my mom was like, no, classical music is the only real music. <laughs> and so um, it took me a while. I consider myself a late bloomer, and it wasn't until like, high school when I started to explore like other genres and stuff but I'd say that the most life-changing sound that changed the way I perceived music and got me into the geekier nerdier side of music was probably uh Bjork and Radiohead oh and also Massive Attack so that whole style of like trip-hop and um electronic productions with organic instrumentations and and rock also and I don't know it was it was a very like it was just so eye-opening because all I knew at the time was like pop jazz and uh rock and those were like what was available to me at the time yeah I was gonna ask um is that where you would say that your sort of connection to or your relationship with electronic music truly began totally um, I just fell in love with what I was hearing and my curiosity, um, when I fall in love with something, just like, it'll want to know everything possible. <laughs> so I just remember hearing their music for the first time, thinking like, how do they make these sounds? Like, what instruments? And, um, so at the time I didn't know anything about like how to produce my own music. I moved to London. Um, and lived there for a long time. And I started meeting artists who would encourage me to learn how to make my own demos and stuff like that. So producing for me started in UK and it was an amazing place because 
I was just like, that, I, that really opened up um, electronic music production to me and UK music is something that is like very dear to my heart. I just love <laughs> um, like underground UK artists, just they always come out with like such amazing production. And is there a particular set of artists that you really associate with that period of living in London? Oh man, I remember learning about burial for the first time when I was living there and I was, it, it just sounded so London to me because the, the type of production I was hearing, like the rumbling and the kind of like warm and this like low and the way I hear these mixes, it reminded me of like being underground on the trains and hearing that similar kind of rumble and somehow like the tempo of the music also matched the tempo of the city and um so every time I hear like artists like Burry, I can't remember oh man um but I, I think burial is probably the most like London sounding artist <laughs> um just because that was like a really strong correlation and even now when I'm not in London and I listen to anything from burial it just takes me right back and I feel like I'm standing on a platform waiting for the uh for the next uh train to come um and also being terrified of like possibly being pushed over on the edge at rush hour (laughs) that's a real fear um just from the way you describe sound is such a like bodily experience um that's really just coming across for me as I listen to you talk perhaps you could tell everyone about what synesthesia is and you'd be up for sharing your experience of like coming to understand that that's something that you live with oh yeah um so i do have a very um vivid connection between taste and sound so like low end frequencies are like black coffee and unsweetened peanut butter (laughs) um and it's not something that i thought was a weird thing or anything and because I think taste and sound are like very um internalized sensations I never found myself in a situation where I had to articulate what I was experiencing internally I just, I just assumed that everyone else also had like sound taste synesthesia and it wasn't until I started meeting people who had it and then it was um Adam John Williams was the first person I met who talked about his synesthesia and I was like, what is that? And he explained the word and then and then I, I read into it and then discovered all this language that I didn't know about um, what it was and all the different forms. And so um, yeah, that was uh, that didn't come to me until like also late in life. But when I reflected back in like childhood and stuff, I do remember like singing a lot to frequencies while I ate <laughs> um and so yeah that's been an interesting uh learning experience to to realize like oh I have something that not everybody has or um not everyone perceives life this way mm. so it's like a difference in sensory processing right yeah yeah exactly it's like a cross-wiring of senses and um, so when I hear, and they work both ways, so when I hear low-end frequencies, I hear certain, uh, I taste certain flavors, and then really high frequencies tend to be like lemon, grapefruit, lime. <laughs> that makes sense to me. That makes a lot of sense. Does it inform your work at all? Uh, so I didn't think that it did until I remember there was a period when I used to drink lemon water a lot in the mornings and I realized I needed to stop drinking lemon water when I mix my music because it would enhance the high frequencies and during this period when I didn't have this knowledge of like what was happening um, all my mixes would just end up like super muddy. And um, when I pass it to my producer friends for feedback, they would always say, like, what's happened to your high end? And, and my feedback would always be, well, they're just like really sharp. And then when I understood what synesthesia was and what my specific type was, 
I started doing these little experiments or, um, and also becoming more aware of how those senses were cross-wiring. So at some point, I just, as soon as I knew that lemon was high frequencies, I tried to uh, mix without those flavors um, and sounds and it fixed my mixing. <laughs> so that was a, that was a really weird um, learning process, Julie. That's magic. That's such a great fix. <laughs> so we are celebrating a tech month here on RA this month, which obviously encompasses so much. Um, perhaps you could describe for us your kind of evolution with your like working relationship to technology. And also, if you can remember how you kind of took your first steps into creating work that uses technology a lot yeah sure I feel like all this um very heavy tech evolution started in London um from learning how to produce my own music um understanding electronic music culture meeting the kind of producers that I was meeting and then somehow over time I started to meet music helpers and that all started in London as well. Like I was meeting people who were, um, I don't know, creating their own instruments and um, just thinking very differently about sound in general that I just like never would have imagined. Um, and then I started going to this event called Music Tech Fest um, that is basically an event that used to travel around Europe and um, it brought musicians and technologists together and there would be like these fun hackathons where they just put, uh, combine like all these weird um, ideas and people from different disciplines also sometimes neuroscientists and then just like to see what would happen and um, I just remember being so inspired by by all these strange interesting ways of, of making sounds like whether it's like the body movement or brain waves um so that was a whole whole like new rabbit hole <laughs> that i thought i just ended up never ending like this uh going down this never-ending journey of just you know being inspired by technology and um, i just became obsessed from then on um then i met Data bots, uh, CJ Carr and Nikki Saksikowski, who um, are both data scientists, but they come from a musical background. And so um, when we met in 2015, they started talking to me about their custom AI models that they were making. And at the time, it was just so abstract, like I just didn't understand what, what does AI generated music sound like? Or what does this even mean? Like, how does it work? Um, and so that was the beginning of uh, the first conversations that I had about AI music. And then 2019 um, was when I did an artist residency at Factory Berlin, and we collaborated together to do our first AI audio experiment. And so, yeah. Um, we did some really fun experiments that kind of gave birth to some processes that I really fall in love with. Mm. So around the time of those experiments, how were you feeling? Like, um, obviously, it must have been quite daunting in a way, because you said you've gone from like, not really, like knowing what this meant, to this becoming like part of the fabric of your practice in a way. So can you tell me about how that evolution kind of grew and your relationship to working with these instruments? Yeah, um, so I think like, especially with something like AI, at the time it was so abstract because there were no examples for me to go off of. So I just couldn't even imagine what was possible. And it wasn't until I met Weeks One who collaborated with CJ and they basically took a bunch of his beatboxing and fed that through uh, Databot's custom AI sample RNN model. And um, he did this amazing performance at Bell Labs when he had his artist residency there. And so there's this amazing uh, video on YouTube called Second Self. 
and he's like beatboxing against his AI version of himself. And um, and so I was really inspired by what, what I was hearing and that helped me decide what was going to be the first set of audio to experiment with. And that also ended up being my voice. Um, and I was just curious to find out if AI was smart enough to take raw audio of my vocals and create melodies and lyrics that made sense and also um, emotionally inspiring. Mm, emotionally inspiring. <laughs> so this is super interesting to me because as I've been sort of studying your work from afar, something that is so present in what you do is emotion. I think with a lot of artists, like machine learning and computers, it can feel cold in the context of some people's work how important is it to you to keep emotions and feelings at the forefront of what you're communicating oh everything um i think as i became more multidisciplinary over the years because i think that as humans we're all multidisciplinary i don't think that we're all just like single faceted (laughs) Um, but when I got into like visual arts and, um, and just exploring other mediums, I found myself always going to sound when I couldn't communicate something either verbally through just talking or visually. And sound is always the medium that helps me translate emotions and the feelings that I just can't otherwise express. So sound and music are always like very, very highly emotional expressions. Um, and because I started with my own personal music from a very, I guess, like traditional singer-songwriter approach, um, before I started producing my own work, I always had this need to, you know, tell my story through lyrics and melodies. And so so I, to me, it doesn't make any sense to make um, music that doesn't involve some emotional storytelling. Do you see AI becoming more popular amongst musicians um, who don't have like a deep understanding of like the background and the history of the evolution of technology? Um, as in like, do you think it's gonna become used more and more as things progress? I think so. Um, I know that databots, one of their big missions is to help make AI more accessible for musicians. Um, CJ especially wants to make it so easy that any 15 year old bedroom producer can use exciting tools to make music. And, um, so yeah, I do think that there's gonna be a lot of really interesting ways to make sounds in general because um, from what I've learned so far and also what other like PhD students are doing is just so mind-bending. Every, it feels like every month at least there's always some new weird experimental research thing that somebody's doing. <laughs> and it's just like, um, I just remember a PhD student from London sent me this thing that she did, um, she created this open source code um, and this AI model that that you can use to generate sounds from text. And I was just like, okay, excuse me. <laughs> um, like, I can't remember one of the, the text to sounds I heard on her website and examples that was like alien robot singing or something like this. And um, so, you know, it's just, I think the way we produce sounds because of technological evolution is just going to open up all kinds of weird and interesting ways, specifically uh, with machine learning and and other forms of AI. Mm. And I think I read in an interview with you online um, that you were going to be looking into working towards helping create like unbiased information for AI because I know that this is like a issue that needs addressing sort of imminently um, for people who are working in this field Mm. Um, is this something that you've been able to work on alongside your music and how does one go about doing that yeah oh man bias uh, is the whole rabbit hole I think 
with AI specifically. Um, and I guess like I became really interested in all of this because the more I started having conversations with people who were creating these AI models, it became apparent that the bias happens based on the individual's own internal biases, right? Like we all actually have our own set of biases and um, we don't sometimes know what they are until someone points it out. Like, oh, did you know that your thing that you created is doing this? And so I'm very interested and I think um, it's really important that when new tools crop up and especially with AI emerging at the speed that it is, um, I think it's really important to make these creative tools accessible to as wide of an audience to truly make it inclusive and diverse um, and, and keep that narrative moving forward um, as diverse as possible so that there is um, a plethora of different perspectives always um, in, in conversation and it's not so, you know, homogenous to this like, I guess, to try and prevent or maybe um, look at the, the systemic issues that we have um, had in the past and what can we do to not have the systemic issues repeat as the technology continues to evolve. And it sounds like collaboration is really key here in terms of being able to work together as a group of coders, is that? Correct. Yeah, 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 totally. I, I have these type of conversations with um, CJ all the time. Like, how can we address bias? And it's there, are there interesting ways that we can show examples of bias through sound also? Um, and so I've done a few experiments. I haven't published anything, but it is something that I am deeply interested in. Um, and I think the more uh, different ways of experiencing bias, whether it's through visuals, text, or sound, I think will help us understand. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully I can, I can create some kind of interesting impressions um, sonically. I just haven't quite figured out something that's um, impactful enough. And for now, they're just like little experiments. On the note of collaboration, I was wondering, um, when you work with AI, do you see it as a collaborator, just, you know, as if you were playing a DJ set and you play back to back with a friend or, or if you were jumping in the studio with someone else who also writes lyrics, you know, do you see AI as a collaborator? Yeah, totally. I mean, um, for me, like any tool that I use, I, I look to new tools for inspiration, either because they're going to enhance my creativity or help me be more creative. Um, and, you know, similar to like uh, being inspired by a synthesizer that sounds different and maybe it has like a different set of knobs or the way the interface is designed makes me play it differently. I look at AI no differently to that. So, um, I think that's a really big question because for a while, I think there's been a misconception of anyone who wants to use AI creatively, wants automated um, creative processes. And, um, and I do think that that is a side of AI that will um, become, it'll, it'll be more of a thing. Like people are looking at ways of, you know, could AI generate a full pop song? <laughs> um, and obviously it's gonna it's gonna be up to every individual who uses AI to decide like what they want this technology to do to do. Um, but, but for me, I think um, and also with like other creatives I've talked to who are using these technologies who are artists themselves, um, for the most part, I think most of us have this like control freak in us and we want to be in the driver's seat of our creativity, you know, like whatever we put out to public or whatever we publish, we're going to be pretty neurotic, <laughs> um, at least like I know I am and uh, my own artist, my um, artist friends that I've spoken with are, are just equally neurotic. So um, yeah, I think it, it offers just a lot of new ways to stay inspired and, um, and I think the tools that uh, are going to also 
come out over the next few years are just going to continue to blow our minds away in a really good way. Um, so you as an individual, how do you use AI at the moment? Well, I'd be curious to know if it has changed since you started your working relationship. Um, but also at the moment, you know, how do you use AI? How do you collaborate with AI in a musical sense? So I, I have a lot of AI generated audio from a bunch of experiments I did over the last couple of years. Um, I have 10 hours of audio that Databots created from one hour of my singing vocals that they trained for two and a half days. I don't think I managed to listen to all 10 hours. <laughs> so I still will just like randomly listen to one of these audio outputs and, and that'll usually inspire a new track. Um, and then we also have 10 hours of hi-hats um, so we did the same exact um, approach of training one hour of hi-hats and that generated 10 hours of audio. So I have a ton of material like this um, and also did experiments with MELSPEC VAE model by Moses Portavalanzala, who is also an AI artist and created, and created this really great experimental AI, raw audio <laughs> AI um model and so yeah at the moment i am um, working on some new experiments with databots and they're doing um they're always improving their code and algorithms and they recently did an experiment with um something called catch away and they took all the stems off of the album that is releasing this year um and trained it on this new approach and sent me a few examples recently and I was just, yeah. I'm always blown away because I think with raw audio, what's exciting is there is this very organic um, nature to it. It's rather than using like MIDI generative AI um, and you just get a lot of like really weird and interesting morphs and artifacts and just really strange behavior. Has there ever been anything that's come back that's actually genuinely freaked you out? Oh, all the time. <laughs> I think especially with the voice, because to hear my own voice bat out in this really weird, like causes a lot of hair raising moments where either the AI decided to take a combination of different vocal techniques and sing in a way that I cannot replicate. And I have these like profound moments where I'm just like, what does this mean? How does this make me feel? Is it scary? Is it, do I feel like I'm being replaced? <laughs> you know, all these kind of like, I guess, deep questions that we've had about AI for ever since like it, it started in the 60s, right? Like these are really big questions that we've been kind of like poking at, um, at where we're going with all of this. And so it's, um, and there's just sometimes, um, I'll hear my voice sing words I've never sung that are just like not even in English maybe because it's, I mean, it's, it's gibberish. So um, sometimes it's gibberish and then sometimes it's like actual words that make sense, but then it'll just kind of morph into gibberish. So it'll, it'll kind of like oscillate between gibberish and making sense. Hmm. So how do you work through those big questions that uh, hearing your voice generated back through the AI can bring up for you? Well, I think um, so far I've just allowed actually to be inspired by where these new sensations were guiding and taking me. So at least sonically, I don't feel like um, the way these AI-generated audio snippets are replacing me, but it's given me a, a different perspective, I guess, of my own process because AI is really good at pattern recognition. So the way I was informed how the sample RNN model works is it's like waveform production. So it learns all the waveform patterns and then tries to replicate um, based on that, like all the new audio that I got out of it. And so because it's also waveform and it doesn't have like music theory knowledge or anything, 
that also is why the audio that comes out is just so like random and glitchy and a bit weird and just get maybe like three seconds of an interesting melody here and there. But what's interesting is it's always a melody I've never sung before or words I've never sung before. And so it's, um, it, it is a, a really um, strange journey every time. And the textures are always a little different. Like, I don't know, hearing the AI hold a really like breathy note just for like 60 seconds long or something. And it's like, well, I wouldn't ever do that. So that's interesting. And also, I don't know if I can hold my breath and my my vocal tone in that way for so long. So um, yeah, it's it, it definitely provokes a lot of strange uh, feelings, I guess. Um, it's like a combination of what I like to say is like fear and fascination. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm, I'm, so, I'm just juggling them um, throughout all of my experiments of like, okay, what do I do with this? Um, and so far, it feels like I am equally collaborating. Like there's like, it feels like a 50-50 collaboration, at least when it comes to like melodies and lyrics, because um, one thing that's been very apparent is this style of using AI has proved not to be smart enough to create full lyrics and melodies. Um, and so it'll usually be a really great idea sparker and um, something I'll hear will then inspire me to write like the rest of the melodic phrase or the rest of the lyric, lyrical idea that I get out of it. Yeah, I can see how that uh, collaboration works harmoniously. Um, and it's interesting that place of like feeling unsettled or slightly unnerved and in you that seems to spark a sort of creative reaction in a way so the two of you work well together um your work's obviously also really rooted in science um how did you connect with like neuroscientists and and scientists that you admire to develop your practice further and um maybe you could tell us about the fruit of those collaborations yeah, so um, uh, Dr. Joelle Simons, who I met through um, the Synesthesia Association called IASIS, International Association of uh, <laughs> International Association of Synesthes Artists and Scientists, and um, and so we met through an event they organized that I was part of, and I was giving these samples and experiences to people there. And then um, we just connected. And um, that also is how I met a bunch of other citizens doing interesting things. And um, and I guess like anyone who is creating any kind of output, whether it's like through sounds or images or words, everyone's kind of trying to communicate in whatever way they can. And so when I connected with Joel, um, and I learned about his heritage and he has like multiple forms. Um, he can like see words with their sounds and visuals. And so um, we did, and uh, I created an installation for him based on a bunch of gifts of like dogs and textures and all different kinds of like colors and shapes um and I just asked him to record with his voice what they sounded like and then give me further information of like textures and other sounds that he was hearing that he couldn't vocalize and then I just helped with the sound design and it, it ended up being a really fun installation and that was my first real collaboration with the neuroscientist um and, and I learned quite a lot from him which really helped to um i guess like help me become a little bit more at ease and also make peace with ways that my brain doesn't function and like how we perceive as like norm um i'm terrible at like remembering numbers numbers and dates i just like for the life of me i have the hardest time remembering um but i will remember textures flavors sounds like so vividly and um like all my friends will 
usually say like you always tend to remember the stuff that like no one else remembers <laughs> like I could tell you the exact texture of a velvet couch from my childhood and you know like so textures have seemed to have like a very very strong impression on the in the way I remember things um I'll remember the texture of people's voices and how they taste <laughs> how a voice might taste <laughs> That that sounded a little strange, um, but like I would say, your voice to me sounds like potato, like a baked potato, because it's <laughs> <laughs> um, just like based on frequency and tonality. So it's <laughs> really funny. One other thing that I think you mentioned earlier in our conversation was about brain waves and translating these into music which I think was a project of yours which I'd love to hear more about oh brain waves and music um so I collaborated with an amazing composer Gaddy Sassoon it was at one of these music tech, tech fest events um it was music tech fest in Sweden I remember and we were in this um old nuclear reactor chamber for a week and um, we were allowed to just experiment and come up with um, some kind of like interesting performance idea. And so um, this was like one of these music hackathon things that I mentioned. So um, it was me, Gabby, and Chico, who uh, came from a neuroscience background and he had a headset um, and he decided to attach it to Gabby's head so it was his brain waves and then that was influencing the modular synthesizer he was using and my vocals were going through the modular synth also so it ended up being like a wash of really interesting sounds and um it was a bit the, the process was also interesting because um the the way brain waves come through as data is like so erratic and um so like if you wanted to create just pure melodies from the way your brain moves it would actually not sound very good because it's really I mean it goes it just spikes and dips like at rapid speed all the time and so that was really interesting just to like hear what that sounds like and so we ended up like learning what kind of rules you need to give it like Maybe it's like MIDI note from like, or MIDI information from like zero to hundred is actually one note. So that it's, you know, something that kind of sounds pleasant, but also um, being able to hear a note spread across like a set of data points also helps us to understand and hear that like the brain was actually um, impacting the sound and somehow creating these kind of like sonic rules helped Gaddy become more mindful and like have a have a more direct um, relationship with the way his brain waves were triggering the effects. Um, so yeah, that was that was super fun. It's not something that I've done a huge amount of, but that was a really fun experiment. That is so interesting. It's crazy. Really cool. <laughs> I love that. So am I right in thinking that the current project that you're working on is the album that you're releasing in five parts? And yeah. would you like to talk everyone through that? Yeah, sure. So um, this album was created during my residency at Factory Berlin between 2019 and 2020 in collaboration with Databots. Um, it features some of these audio experiments that we did with my vocals um, and the hi-hats and so it's it gave birth to a process that I really fall in love with which we like it's the easiest way to call it it's like a neural vocal duet so um, it's glitchy and strange and I did self-release the first single uh, in 2020 I think it was oh my gosh time is so weird um, but basically the album was just come out then and then COVID happened and then shows and everything got cancelled. So 
I just parked it and I actually lost energy um, to really focus on it too deeply with everything being canceled. And so um, I premiered the album at South by Southwest this year and then did some shows in California before coming back to Berlin, um, which was really exciting. It was so nice to like finally get it out there, um, even though the album isn't released yet, but it's been really, really fun to just um, engage with people publicly with it. And um, and so the, the response I've been getting so far has been really great. And um, the five stages happened because of everything that's been happening with Web3 over the last couple of years. And um, so I have like fine artist friends and mentors who've been guiding this whole evolution of Web3 and encouraging me to, to get into that space of like NFTs and DAOs and stuff like that. So um, yeah, South by Southwest was phase one and I have uh, private links that um, I was giving to people in the format of um, NFTs and pouts so that they could hear the album pre-release. And so I've just been slowly um, introducing people to my work and trying to like experiment with all these ways of, I guess, sharing work with NFTs. Um, South by South has also had an NFT activation with blockchain creator labs where I had um, some like AI audio visual samples as NFTs. Amazing. That's kind of got me thinking about where you see yourself fitting in the sort of music scene or industry right now. Um, are you leaning more towards things like subscription models between you and your audience? Because um, you are on Spotify as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the sort of state of things right now for musicians? Because it's hard. Things aren't really in place that are sort of sustainable or accessible to all musicians um where do you see yourself in this sort of wider scene oh man oh this is a deep deep question (laughs) it's um where my mind has been stuck or not stuck but um it's just been in in constant research mode and I've just been learning but I think that we are witnessing a very huge change and the way people are wanting to support artists and that is really fascinating to me it's like we can't just like turn a blind eye to the fact that like wow people are putting out music and visual ideas or like short snippets of work out there and they're earning like way more than ever before and it's like I don't I don't see it as either or also. So I don't think it's like either you do web two or web three. Um, The way I see Spotify because of the way it's financially structured, I never really look to it as like, this is how I'm going to make my bread and butter anyway. (laughs) And I think they've like changed that um, massively for artists for quite some time. And um, at the same time, I, I think like it's still an amazing promotional tool like it's a great way to be on playlists and um, people still discover artists through these platforms and um, so I think I look at web3 as an enhancement and an additional like layer that artists can explore how to share their work and maybe it's like and like exclusive work that you just put out as NFTs, but you still allow people who are in the traditional platforms to you know access your music. Um, so that's been a really interesting journey. And also, there's there's so there's so much changing in Web three in terms of like um, the technology. Like developers are working at making it more accessible. Um, like Polygon is a is uh, is one currency that I am still trying to understand the mechanics of. But like what I know is you can use your normal bank card, you know, to buy stuff um, that's minted on Polygon. So like twelve by twelve is a music NFT marketplace um, that allows 
people to do that. And so it's, it's a lot. I've been constantly overwhelmed <laughs> and just taking a lot of notes on things and having a lot of conversations with interesting people. Like Audius is um, a music streaming platform that I learned about recently also that is paying artists way more than anywhere else like Spotify. Um, and it's like the way it looks, the interface reminds me of SoundCloud. And so, you know, just trying to understand like how all of this is working um, for sustainability and also like how can you make these options uh, work for me or work for you or me or, you know, all the artists who are utilizing these technologies is really interesting. And I think everyone's doing it very differently. I love the way Holly Herndon has been um, harnessing Web3 with the way she puts her work out. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, I guess, a good problem to have <laughs> um, because it is just overwhelming with the amount of options out there. But um, I think it's, it's, it's important to just like take a deep breath and, and don't feel like you have to ride on some kind of hype train or anything. I've been taking my time um, just to digest and um, and try to like figure out how this how this makes sense to me. I think it's really valuable to hear that because there is so much to potentially look into. Um, but yeah, hearing about you taking your time and doing your research, I think is very useful to hear. We're coming towards the end of our chat, but I just really wanted to hear about Sound Obsessed. Um, and so you'll be using it as a sort of label to release parts of the album, is that right? Yeah. But what is it beyond that? So Sound Obsessed is something that, um, it started off as like, I guess my own personal collection of people that I found really interesting who were sound artists and musicians working at the intersection of art, music, sound, and technology. Um, people like Weeks One, people like Databots, Robert Thomas, um, all these like really interesting people that have also influenced the way I work and just opened my eyes and my perspectives of what else I could do as a musician and a sound artist. Um, and so it started off as just like, me connecting dots of like finding this really interesting fascination of what happens when musicians use these emerging technologies. And from what I've seen so far, these experiences that are created, they tend to be way more emotive um, when there's like a musician involved that are using a technology for expression. Um, and so I started putting these virtual exhibitions together um, on New Art City, which is like a 3D metaverse um, that you can walk around and, and hear and, and see artworks in there. And um, so I, when I created Soundlapses, I didn't know what it was going to become actually. I just kind of started it as like, okay, this is the thing. And I just want to like feature all this, all these cool people that I, think maybe other people will be inspired because if I'm inspired then um then 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 I'd imagine that other people would find these people equally interesting. And um so fast forward to 2022 um where I think this is the year of a lot of DAOs forming and um I think we will see what works and what doesn't and so I've been exploring the idea of forming Zamexus as a DAO um, that basically is about like looking after the community of people who are interested in this intersectionality and maybe as like one example, um, create like a, a group curated NFT exhibition. And, and I'm curious if, you know, the success of everyone's NFTs could then have like a small percentage feed into the community, into the DAO, and what would that look like? Could we achieve universal basic income in this way? Um, and so that is where my head is at the moment, um, which probably doesn't sound like a, a label. <laughs> um, and uh, 
So I don't know where it, it will go after that, but I think that's my first goal is um, I'm, I'm in the process of, of reeling everyone in together to, to make this first like group NFT exhibition and see what happens as like experiment number one and then see what happens from there. But um, I'd say I'm, I'm really inspired by what's been happening with Song Cap Dow. And they recently came out with something called Chaos which is like a headless band. And it's just, it's so wild. You can follow them on Twitter and they just like, I think transferred out like the equivalent of something like a little over 5K for each artist as like, you know, an example of what Universal Basic Income could look like for a community um, specifically because of the food. And that really excites me. Mm. Well, thank you for that tip. And um, yeah, really, really exciting to hear about the potential future of Sound Obsessed. Um, I think we'll leave it there for today. But thank you so much for speaking to me. It's honestly been so interesting. So thank you so much for sharing the time. Um, when is the next installment of the five piece album coming? <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. And um I would, I think, for the next stage, uh, will probably come out in the shape of NFTs that will slowly kind of um, help unravel the storytelling a bit more. I am leading towards um, traditional and also like non-traditional producers. Um, so I know it's been a long time coming, um, and I'm, I'm really excited about finally getting this all out. Of it. Yeah.